It is Monday, April 26th. Welcome to the Richie Allen Radio Show. How are you? Hope your Monday has been kind to you. Drop me a tweet. Now it's BBG Richie on Twitter. If there's something you've got to say, I've got a good program for you today. Brand new week. Thanks for joining me. It's the BBG, not the BBC. You're listening to the Richie Allen Radio Show, live from Salford in Greater Manchester. It's the Richie Allen Show, broadcasting live on richieallen.co.uk and multiple platforms around the world. And now, here's your host, Richie Allen. Now, a couple of weeks ago, I was on Twitter and I came across a lady called Caroline who was tweeting about her father-in-law, Colin. And she was tweeting that Colin had passed away and that Caroline and Alan, uh, uh, Colin's son, Alan, who's uh, Caroline's husband, they believe that Colin was doing very well, thank you very much, until he got his first dose of the AstraZeneca coronavirus vaccine. Now I spoke with uh, Alan and Caroline on Friday. I'm going to bring you that conversation in about 15 to 20 minutes time. You do not want to miss that. Alan Wise and wife Caroline. And in the second hour, Sharon Smith will be on the programme. The Reverend Jamie, uh, Jamie Franklin, that's right, of course, uh, Jamie Franklin was brilliant on this programme last week. And he put me in touch with Sharon Smith. Now she's going to be standing the forthcoming national election in Wales. Um, for the No More Lockdown Wales party. Sharon will be on me with me in the second hour. She's hugely interesting. You don't want to miss her. And as I said, if you'd like to contribute to the conversations, you've only got to tweet to me. That's right. At the usual Twitter thingamajig. Okay then, yeah. Lovely weekend. Lovely. Nice to be back doing the old Sunday View. Yes, the Sunday View. I know, I think I'll start again. I'm all over the place. Sunday Morning Melodies, that's the one, yes. Nice to be back doing that again, I enjoyed that yesterday. And just to answer a couple of emails from people who are new to that, that's not archived at all, sadly. You can't, because the the podcast hosts won't hold it, because they won't keep it because of all the music. Do you understand? So it's a live thing. And we run it a few times on Sunday afternoon afterwards, but then it just disappears. So you've got to catch it on Sunday if it's your bag. If it isn't your bag, don't worry about it. All right. Interesting. There seems to have been a ramping up on social media of well-known people, not so well-known people, moderately well-known people, urging you and me to have the vaccine. I don't know if you've, or have one of the vaccines. I don't know if you've been uh, following any of this. I'm not sure if you've been following any of it. But um, yeah, it seems in the last couple of days, there's been certainly an escalation in people coming on Twitter to tell you and me that we should have the jab and that we should do it to be unselfish. Uh, One of them is a guy called Tom Harwood, who worked at one time for Guido Fawkes, Hope I pronounced that right. And now he's off to a brand new news channel. Uh, what's it called again? Andrew Neil is heading it up. I think it's GB News, is it? GB News, eh? It's still not online yet. It's still not on telly yet. But it's coming soon. And, and this guy, Tom Harwood, tweeted out yesterday, and he meant it. It wasn't satirical. He said, young, fit and healthy... 
question mark. Young, fit and healthy, get a vaccine. It's not for you, it's for your country and those you love. So GB News is not going to be any different, of course. Not that we thought it would be to any of the others that it'll be in competition with. It's madness, isn't it? I mean, I'm not going to take an intervention, a medical intervention, on behalf of someone else. It's insane. Will you have this, will you, this medicine to protect your granny? No. Feck right off. No, thank you very much. Firstly, my granny has had the feckin' thing. She's had two doses of it, so there's no need for anyone else to have it on her behalf. If it's any good, that is. By the way, this is rhetorical. I don't have any grannies left, sadly. They're pushing up clover. My grannies are pushing up clover. Um, But yeah, yeah. No thanks, granny is 80. She's 80. No thanks. I'm not being selfish, but no thank you very much. I was thinking today, if I did have a granny and if she needed a kidney, would I give her a kidney? You know, if the odds favoured her hanging around a few more years, if she had one of me kidneys. Now, you wouldn't give one of my kidneys to Wurzel Gummidge. My kidney, my kidneys have been pickled, sadly, in various alcoholic substances for many, many, many years. I'm not bragging about that now. I'm weaning myself off the booze as best as I can. But uh, I think if there was any chance she'd stick around a bit longer, yeah, I'd give her the kidney, you know. I'd give me granddad me left testicle if it'd keep him alive, but not me right one. Different thing entirely. It's insane, this, and you'll see quite a bit of this now as they're inviting younger people to come and have the jab. It's been announced now that they're into the early 40-somethings, and in some places they're already offering a vaccine to over 30s. No medical evidence that by having it, you'll protect granny or anybody else. It's only bullshit. That's all it is. So no thank you very much. Now, tens of thousands of people were in Hyde Park, not only there, but other parts of London, and there were rallies in other parts of the country as well. The Unite for Freedom rally. A lot of people went out, and as usual... And I mean it, I commend everybody who exercised their human right to move about freely. Good on you. And I hope you had a good day and you met new friends and you came away galvanised to continue fighting this tyranny. Now, the chef, Tanya Buxton, whom I didn't know too much about, but then again, were even Stephen, I doubt she ever heard of me, but she was at the Unite for Freedom rally on Saturday. She's a celebrity chef, apparently, and she was on talk radio with Mike Graham today, and uh, they talked about that rally, why she was there and how she felt about it. I mean, I know you posted some footage. Yeah. The thing I saw, which I loved, was this people walking down um, singing the Bob Marley song, yeah. which looked tremendous. It just looked like great fun. It, it was fun, but also um, my heart literally contracted a lot of the times. So I saw um, one young man carrying a placard saying, um, lockdown killed my mum. Right. And um, I ended up talking to him a little bit and she couldn't get treatment. And so she died. Uh, there was another couple um, about the same age as my parents. And I talk about it now, I get really emotional because um, lockdown took my son and mm. I ended up talking to them. I don't yeah. know why I'm getting so upset now, but I am. No, but you do, because, um, because you're a human said, being. They said that he'd lost his business, he couldn't get any money, he wasn't working, and he'd committed suicide. Yeah. And and then you have to deal with people calling us these vile names. Don Jolly used the C word yeah. on people who were on the march. To these parents that have lost their son, this man thinks it's fine yeah. to say that. You know, 
people, we all want the same thing. Mm. We all want to live life in a in a good and healthy way yeah. and have freedoms and 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 live an opened, free life. And yet, anybody who turned up at that lockdown, if you look at most of the media, most of the celebrities out there, they're calling us these rancid names. Yeah. Yes, rancid names. It is quite. Again, I don't want to overuse the word, but it is extraordinary, remarkable to see people in the public eye, like I said, some of them well-known, not so well-known, very well-known, going after people for attending the rally on Saturday. Yeah. There's nothing wrong with Tom Harwood, says Charlotte. Uh, I would wager there's a lot wrong with Tom Harwood, personally. Anybody asking somebody to take an intervention on behalf of their country. It's quite a bit wrong with them, I would have said. Charlie says, Richie, I got my Vax invite by text message today. I'm 44 years young, says Charlie. Thanks, Charlie. You had the, you had the technological, you got the, the text message. Very 20th century, 21st century. I got a snail mail letter and uh, that was a few days ago. I'm wondering, will I get another one? We'll have to wait and see. Hi to James Busby. Patricia Brownschweiler says, having the jab? Nope. She says, selfish and proud. Bill says, my country and the ones I love can take their own vaccine. I'll give it a miss, says Bill. Me and you both, Bill. Me and you both. On the same show with Mike Graham was none other than Peter Hitchens. And they discussed the rally and the Freedom March, and all of that. Here he is. Well, it does, to some extent, depend on size. But you, you must contrast that, of course, with the way in which the BBC gives gives very considerable publicity to the... Uh, yes, I didn't quite set that up properly, did I now? Oh, dear. Oh, dear. The Mike Graham, the presenter, made the point to Peter Hitchens, isn't it pretty disgraceful that a massively attended rally like that isn't atten- or wasn't even reported by the BBC or given scant mention. And Hitchens' response was... Well, it, it does to some extent depend on size, but you, you must contrast that, of course, with the way in which the BBC gives, gives very considerable publicity to the Alexei Navalny movement in, in, mm. in Russia. If they gave equivalent publicity to, to movements of the same size and nature in this country, then it, it would be interesting, but they don't. Also, the other thing is they're very uncritical of Mr Navalny, who, if he lived in Britain, would be uh, much disliked by Guardian readers, particularly for his, his unpleasant statements about uh, the inhabitants of the Caucasus region, right. and uh, remarks which people might look at, which would, which, would, which, which put him certainly well to the right of, um, of, of UKIP, let's right. say. Because of his, because of the extraordinary uh, attitude towards Russia of our, what, what I would call our liberal elite, uh, his his offences against liberalism are overlooked because he is an opponent of, of, of the Putin regime. Yes, and that in itself again is is remarkable. But I mean, you know, it seems to me, and I mean, you and I have been in journalism roughly the same amount of time. That journalism isn't even journalism anymore. You know, there are very few people who question things. There are very few people who wish to question things, and they don't seem to even want to challenge their own bosses nowadays. Well, I don't know. I, I think that there have been there have been huge changes in, in how many of them have been driven by technology, some have been driven by falling circulations, uh, some of them, but most of all, I think, they've been driven by the education system from which journalists emerge, in which people are, over and over again, taught what to think, but not how to think. Mm. He's wrong there, of course, Hitchens. It's got nothing to do with what young would-be journalists are learning or are being lectured 
about at university. It's got nothing to do with that. Hitchens should know better. It's about the fact that the media is now owned by only a tiny, tiny group of people, a handful of corporations. That's the issue. And young men and women trying to get work, whether it's at a station owned by Bauer, whether it's at a station owned by any of the other conglomerates, Global, for example, they know what is expected of them. This is the problem, you see. They know what is expected of them as they apply for a job. That's the way it is. You're coming out of uni now, you fancy getting into radio, you know what you're expected to talk about, and you know the opinions you're expected to hold if you're going to talk radio or LBC or any of the others. It's dreadful stuff, really. It was wonderful once upon a time when every city had its own independent radio station that was owned by local business people. Wonderful! God be with the days. Those days are gone. All of those stations were hoovered up by multinational companies. Now you get a homogenisation of the news. It's dreadful stuff, really. Hitchens there. Hitchens there. Sometimes you have to... um, you kind of have to uh, rub your eyes. Now, I'm a dog owner. You might be a dog owner too. I know that some dog people don't like to hear the term dog owner. You share your life with your canine. You don't own him or her. Fair enough. I don't feel like we own her. We're responsible for her. We have to look out for her welfare and all of that. But um, yeah, we, and I say this, Hand on heart, not a word of a lie, to be sure, to be sure. When our dog poo-poos on the footpath or in a field, we pick it up. We carry these green biodegradable bags that we buy, and we do that, right? It's the right thing to do. There's nothing worse than stepping in dog poo. That's the way to ruin the rest of your day right there, you know, if you do that. It's dreadful, isn't it? So that's what we do. Um, In Ireland, and again, I, I do vaguely remember hearing something about this last year. Leitrim County Council in Ireland, so Leitrim is a county in God's country, is going to begin DNA testing of doggy doo-doo. Doggy doo-doo. Why? Because it wants to identify people who are not picking up the dog's poo-poo. So dog wardens will be going around collecting stool samples and uh, attempting to match them with saliva samples taken from dogs in the same area. So they'll collect the doggy poo-poo, they'll then go around knocking on doors of houses where they know or understand there is a dog in residence, and they will try and collect a saliva sample from the pooch, take it back to the lab, and then come after the owners who are not picking up their poo. This is mad, and this is police state stuff. And some of you goons, yes you, I see you on Facebook saying this is a good thing, you selfish, silly, short-sighted muppets. It's not a good thing. Of course it's not a good thing when a dipstick doesn't pick up after his doggy. That's a pain in the arse. But you can deal with that without people turning up, threatening to fine you if you don't give them access to your dog's saliva. Because according, according to the, to the, to two different acts, the Animal Health and Welfare Act in Ireland, uh, people can be compelled to allow the saliva sample be taken. They can be compelled to allow it, like it or lump it. And if you refuse, you'll be fined. Mad stuff, isn't it? And it's where all of that leads. And of course, Ireland is leading the world now in totalitarian 
behaviour. You probably saw now the footage from Athlone where the guardee, the Irish police, stormed into a church and told around 50 people saying their prayers to get out and to go home. Footage has been watched online by millions of people. A police state is Ireland. Madness, isn't it? Madness. Let's go around collecting poo and, and, and then fining people if they don't give us saliva samples from their dogs so that we can find out who's not picking up the poo. It's madness is what it is. And it's 16 minutes past five o'clock. Speaking now, going back to coronavirus and restrictions, a guy who I think used to be involved with UKIP, I think he probably was, Professor Angus or Angus Dalgleish has written in the Daily Mail today. I picked up on this on my own website, richieallen.co.uk. He's an oncology professor in London, is Angus Dalgleish or Angus Dalgleish. He accused Boris Johnson of political cowardice and that the COVID-19 policy of Johnson's government is being driven by nothing more sophisticated than a deranged dogma. It's a brilliant piece. Uh, Catch it on the Mail Online's website or get the highlights on richieallen.co.uk. The same professor of oncology, Angus Dalgleish, was on Good Morning Britain this morning and he elaborated on what he said in the Mail. What would you like to see happen from now? And what would you like to see happen from June the 21st when the lockdown restrictions will be eased, we understand, mostly? Well, for now, I'd like to see all the restrictions be lifted very, I mean, immediately, so really. you don't uh, even want to wait until June the 21st? No, no, I don't see any reason for doing that. And one of the reasons for that is that every day we have these lockdowns, there's more businesses going bust, there's more uh, people, uh, lives are being ruined because of this lockdown. And I speak and uh, see them every, every day, particularly young people who have their hopes and aspirations dashed away from them. And that's let alone my own prof- professional capacity, where we've had people who've uh, struggled and, and carried on with symptoms of cancer, too worried to come in to the hospital to get treatment. And now it's, it's progressed further and their, their outlook's even worse. And the fear of dying from the virus, of um, less than 1%, when they've got conditions which have got to a far higher percentage, some, some cases 100% chance of killing them, is really so out of proportion. I mean, it's really frustrating. It is frustrating indeed. Angus Dalgleish there. Over on Talk Radio, I won't bring you the audio, but Carl Hennigan, Professor of evidence-based medicine, Oxford University, was doing his thang, his thing, the thing he always does, rationally saying that, look, this is all nonsense. He spoke eloquently on there, I wrote about it today, about how there is no evidence whatsoever that mask wearing in secondary schools protects the pupils or the teachers. There is none. And he said interventions should never be made on the basis of, well, just to be on the safe side. Just to be on the safe side has no place in evidentiary-based medicine. That's what he said. You never make an intervention, he said, unless you know for a fact that it is going to have a positive outcome for you and for the patient. That's uh, Carl Hennigan speaking today. And another interesting bit of news coming out of America. You'll find this on richieallen.co.uk as well. Researchers at the great MIT, the Massachusetts Institute of Technology, revealed that the risk of exposure to coronavirus-19 is as great at 60 feet as it is at six feet indoors. So this research basically debunks the guidelines from the CDC, the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention, 
and the World Health Organization, they said last year that Americans should maintain a distance of six feet indoors and outdoors. But this research by MIT people, professors and students and, and PhDs and whatever, uh, used calculations factoring in several issues that could affect transmission and said there is not much of a benefit at all to the six-foot rule, especially when people are wearing masks. It has no physical basis because the air a person is breathing while wearing a mask tends to rise and comes down elsewhere in the room, so you're more exposed to the average background than you are to a person at a distance. Mask wearing and distancing totally debunked by Massachusetts Institute of Technology. You're not going to be remotely surprised that not a single broadcaster in the UK picked up on that story this morning. Not a single one. That's where we are. It is 20 minutes past the hour. Let me read a couple of tweets then and we'll get to my first guests who I recorded on Friday afternoon last. All right. Number of you telling me about your vaccine offers or proffers, eh? Good on you. Good on you. Uh, Gail says, wouldn't the DNA testing of dogs be very expensive for the council, says Gail. And there was a, a comment under the story on my website, an interesting comment, that said, as dogs eat animal-based foodstuffs, dogs eat dog food that contains animal products, right? Lamb, beef, chicken, whatever. Wouldn't there be a hodgepodge of DNA? Now, I don't know the answer to that. And I had no time to get into it. I don't know. It would certainly be very expensive. No doubt about that. Susan says, Richie, doctor came to give my dad the second job today. But thanks to information provided by guests on this programme, my mum was left alone. I told the young doctor exactly why my mum should not have the second job, quoting notes and photo evidence. He didn't question. Thanks, Susan. Darren says an American company launched a few years back calling themselves Pooper Traitors, if memory serves. Pooper Traitors. Got to catch those feckers who don't pick up after their dogs. Chris says, got a bit of post-breakfast BBC today. There was a doctor on still insisting that a case could be made for mask wearing. I went to a corner shop collection point. Loads of kids around and in the shop. No masks. Hooray, says Chris. I had one ready. Left it off in relief, says Chris. Thanks, Chris, for being honest. Some of my friends who don't want to wear masks, who don't wear masks, they do concede to me that they carry one on the off chance because they just don't want any bloody hassle. You know, they'll put it on just for two minutes. I won't. Personally, I've never worn one and I never will. Hi to Chloe. How you doing, Chloe? That's Chloe H there. Let's move right on then and let me get to my first guest. I, as I said at the top of the programme, observed on Twitter a few weeks back a lady called Caroline trying to draw attention to the death of her, well, first of all, the illness and then the death of her father-in-law, Colin Wise. Colin was 91 when he died, okay? He was 91 and he was living independently. He wasn't in a home. He had some help, but he was living independently and he was in rude health for a 91-year-old gentleman. And then um, nurses or a nurse came to his home to give him the first dose of the AstraZeneca jab. And his health took a turn for the worse. And I was following Caroline on Twitter talking about this. And I reached out to her and I said, can you come on, please? And then I got in touch with, through Caroline then with Alan. That's Alan Wise, Colin's son. And I said to them, why don't you have a chat with me 
and we'll 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 talk about it on the program. So on Friday, I sat down with with uh, Alan Wise and Caroline, that's Alan's wife, of course, to speak about uh, Colin Wise and what happened to him. And obviously, my first question was, uh, go back to before he had the vaccine. How was Colin doing the 91-year-old gentleman? Colin, Colin was independent. Although he was 91 years of age, he, he served in the RAF. He was a healthy man. Apart from he had a, he had a catheter and a walking stick. That was it. But, I mean, he was totally independent. I mean, we would prepare his meals and he would heat them up. He could do all that himself. Um, we just sort of all his clothes, etc., things like that. But totally, he was independent at home. He was totally fine the day before he got his job. He was sitting in the chair watching TV. In fact, he was sitting in the chair when the nurses arrived to give him his first dose AstraZeneca. That was on the 19th of January. Right, so he got it at home then. So so, so Colin is, is, yes. li- is living at home. He's fairly yes. healthy. He's independent. And do you mind me asking, um, just for, for our listeners, how old was Colin? He was 91. 91 and he was managing by himself. He was doing well. God love him. So, so the yes, nur- apart from a walking stick. Apart from the walking stick and the catheter, you said. So the, the nurses turn yes. up to give him the jab, Caroline. What happened then? The nurses arrived on the 19th of January and gave him the AstraZeneca jab. So the next day he felt unwell and that lasted for two days. On the third day he felt really shivery and shaky and he was very unsteady on his feet. Um, And sort of like refusing, he was sort of not interested in food. And drinking, which we'll obviously we have to force somebody to drink, you have to drink. Yeah. On day four, we could not get him out of his bed as he was feeling very sleepy and he didn't have an appetite. And we started to spoon feed him a few spoonfuls of food or pudding just to try and get fluids in him. The fluids we would give him because he couldn't lift his head, it was by straw. So he had a straw. And the next two weeks, he had several spells where he was really poorly. As a result of that, we then had to call out the doctor four times, four different doctors. Every doctor that visited Colin said he had a chest infection and prescribed antibiotics orally, which he was already struggling to swallow because he was deteriorating. When we asked every single doctor that we did, that did visit Colin, that we think he should be admitted to the hospital. They disagreed and said he would be safer at home and that his family members should look after him. Why Why? Why did they say he'd be better off at home, Caroline? Uh, one actually says to him because it won't come out. If he goes in, it won't come out. That was the words, one of them. If he goes in, he won't come out. Basically, they said if he goes in, he'll pass away. Yes. That's extraordinary. Or whatever way they want to put it, I don't know. But he did eventually have to go in, did he? Yeah, of course he had to go in. Of course. They just, um, when and there, I'd asked, obviously, if they'd admit to the hospital, they disagreed and said they'd be safer at home with us to look after him. When the weekend is the 6th, 7th of February, now this is after 
how many days, Alan? Two weeks. This is two weeks. He was showing signs of delirium, and he was really poorly. He was just talking. We didn't understand what he was. He was trying to say to us there was no means then. So on the fifth call to the doctor, which was made the very next morning, which would be the eighth of February, Richie, the doctor still stated he had a chest infection, but due to how poorly he was, she was going to arrange for two staff to come from a community hospital to see if they could help as he was struggling to breathe, as they could administer oxygen and medication the same way as any hospital could. Yeah. And that would um, he would be able to get it as if he would just be in hospital, similar circumstances. Two senior nurses arrived and took one look at Colin and said to her that he should be in hospital, and that there was nothing that they could do for him. He was met to hospital that very same day. Every single doctor or nurse who came to see him was told by us that he was perfectly fine before the jab, but all refused to comment and sort of ignored or dismissed his comments. All right, so this is interesting now. So, so once he is finally admitted to hospital, you mentioned to the attending doctors and nurses that, listen, my, my father-in-law, Alan would have said my dad had this vaccine uh-huh. and they were dismissive of it or they didn't understand how did that work? They wouldn't comment. They didn't like comment. They totally ignored what we said or dismissed the comment. No, this just wasn't in the hospital. This was on the run-up. But every doctor that came to visit his father before he was admitted to hospital. And were they saying at this stage now that he's in hospital, were they saying that he's got pneumonia or he's got a very bad chest infection? What were they diagnosing uh, for Colin? At home, they told us it was a chest infection. Yeah. And they were giving, a, giving him antibiotics orally, obviously, which, which he was finding hard to swallow because he was on his back, we were having to lift his head. Yeah, Jesus. Right? Now, I want you to speak to Alan is because after he was admitted to a hospital, because Alan and his brother were next to kin. Yeah. The information would only be related to them, not me, Richie. So I'll let you speak to Alan of about course. that and he can tell you the rest. Of course. So, so, so Alan, what, what happened then? So you, you mentioned in hospital that your dad had the, the jab and they wouldn't comment on it. So what happened from there? How did things progress, Alan? Right, well, when he was admitted to the hospital, the first thing was my brother and I were not allowed in to see him due to COVID rules. So we had to rely on daily phone calls for information. That must okay. have been difficult. That must have been hard. So, yeah, it was difficult. So for the first two weeks, they said that they were treating him for a chest infection with the strongest intravenous antibiotic that they had. Then on, once he'd been in approximately, just, just short of two weeks, on Saturday the 20th of February, I received a phone call from the hospital at 9pm on Saturday night saying he'd become very poorly. So could my brother and I go up to see him the next day on the Sunday? As they, they basically were telling me they thought he didn't have long at that point. Yeah. So when we went up to see him, um, obviously he hadn't had any visitors. Um, but the minute he saw us, he reacted to it, of course. Um, he was on oxygen and he was on intravenous fluids and they informed us at that point that they had been giving him scans to check on his chest infection. These scans also showed up that he had fluid in his lungs 
and a blood clot on his lung. And this is now nearly five weeks after he got his AstraZeneca jab. Did that ring an alarm bell for you, Alan, at yes. that point when they said blood clot? Yes, of course it did. Yeah. Because you're, like him, you're, you're a like smart guy, you've seen the news, you've, you, you're, you're, you read the news like everybody else, so you were aware at this stage yes. that they had linked blood clots to this vaccine. Yes, and like at home, when we were allowed into hospital to see him, we mentioned to various nurses and to the doctors that uh, he'd, had, he'd only got like this since he'd had his AstraZeneca jab. And we got the same reaction in the hospital that we got at home. Basically, they, they didn't comment and they basically dismissed your comment. Every one of them. Did they not? Um, Can I ask this, Alan? I, 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 I believe you, of course I believe you, that they, that they ignored your, your talk about the vaccine. But it's, it's, I mean, it, it astonishes me that none of them even said, well, you know, Mr. Wise, we do have a, a yellow card reporting system if you feel the vaccine was, was, was in any way responsible for your, for your dad's condition, at least go online and report it. They didn't even say that much. No, I never mentioned the yellow card. I, I had to find out. I found out information out about you. You did yourself, Caroline? Yes. Yeah. God. So, yeah. um, the, the hospital, after they, they sent for myself and my brother, they did allow us to continue to visit. And so we were seeing them every... Well, we had, we had to go in one at a time. So my brother went one day and I went the next day or the next few weeks. And they were treating him with water tablets because of the fluid on his lungs, oxygen for his breathing, and a nebulizer, blood thinners to deal with a blood clot, and oral antibiotics. So during week four in the hospital, we actually, through discussions, we were asking the nurses continually, have they scanned him again? How is he getting on with his infection? Um, and we discovered that they'd actually been admitted with double pneumonia. That was four weeks after he was in the hospital. No one had mentioned that to us. They never they said to you. They never said it to you. They always told us it was a chest infection. Yeah. Um, his delirium, they, he started to suffer at home, was also evidently getting a bit worse. He continued to get scans to monitor his infection, but after week four, they were saying, when I asked them about the chest infection, they were actually saying, he's got an infection, but we don't know where it is. They don't so, know where it is, but they, they'd admitted him with double pneumonia. Yeah, yeah. Yep. Which is in the chest and lungs. Chest and lungs. Yes, yep. That's pretty strange, isn't it? We, we don't know where it is. And is that as much as they could tell you at that point? Yes. That's exactly all they could tell us. Over the next three weeks, he continued with his medication, but they stopped the antibiotics because the amount of antibiotics he had had and the strength of them, it, it just was a waste of time trying to give him any more antibiotics. It was, I think it was becoming dangerous to give him any more antibiotics. And is it a, so, Can I just ask, uh, with, with, with the strongest possible antibiotics not doing anything... Now, I, I can't say this for certain because I don't know anything, and I know you can't say this for certain either, but if the strongest antibiotics are not doing anything, it, it might be that they misdiagnosed what was wrong with him. Yes. 
you got to consider you got to consider that don't you because um maybe yeah. maybe the bacterial infection maybe wasn't a bacterial infection maybe it was something else maybe but that's well, speculation that will maybe be evident when they tell you about his death certificate yeah but um, over the next three weeks he continued with his medication but stopped antibiotics week five in the hospital we had a meeting with the doctor this is five weeks he'd been in the hospital he said it looked like um, he would repeatedly get infections and these would become more regular. He said at this point, the hospital had done all they could for him medically. That's astonishing, really. They said, they said as time goes on, Colin will get repeated infections, new infections, yeah. and there was nothing. Yeah. And did they give any indication as to why that was? This was a 91-year-old gentleman living by himself, managing by himself. Mm. Obviously, you helped yeah. out, of course, as the family. And he was healthy. And all of a sudden, he went mm. from that to this terrible situation where they're saying yeah. they can't do anything for him. Did they say why he might be susceptible no. to more and more infections? No. They didn't? No. At this point, the doctor also said that any further intravenous medication, this is him explaining about why they could not do any more for him medically, any further intravenous medication was not helping and potentially causing him harm and distress. So as a result of that, we filled in a respect, what they call a respect form, that any future treatment given to my father can only be done orally. And at that point as well, he was put on the list to be moved locally to a community hospital closer to home. Because they were basically saying in the main hospital they could not do any more medically for him. So by sending him to a local community hospital, that's like somebody going to a hospice in their final days, is it? They were yeah, saying... That's, let yeah, him, that's exactly what it's like. Let him go. And, the doctor said that how they were able to continue to treat him, they could do the same in the community hospital. You'd imagine... So over, Sorry, Colin, you'd, excuse me, sorry, Alan, you would imagine the doctors, you would imagine that they were baffled why a man, okay, look, he's 91, he's no spring chicken, but he's a healthy 91-year-old, and he's gone from that to this terrible situation where they've given him the best antibiotics that they have, they've given him the best care that they can, and it's no good, and they're giving up. They should be baffled as to how he ended up like that. I'm, yeah, ba- I'm baffled yeah. by it. You're his son and Caroline's his daughter-in-law. You're baffled by it. Yeah. And is that what happened? Was he then moved to this hospital? Yeah, oh, well, over... There was another... He had to wait on a waiting list. So over weeks six and seven in the hospital, my father did not... Because they weren't giving him intravenous stuff, he would not eat or drink much at all. Oh, God, yeah. Um, his delirium was still present. And when presented with food in the hospital... My brother and I had to attempt to spoon-feed him, but he had no interest in food or liquids. Um, That must have been terribly stressful for you and your brother, Alan. I can't imagine how difficult that was. We saw a change in him because when my father was admitted to hospital uh, at the beginning, he was approximately 14 stone in weight. And by the end of week seven in the hospital, he was less than nine stone. He'd lost five. He'd lost about lost five, five stone in, in seven weeks. You can see it in the photographs that Caroline has shared on Twitter. All oh, right, you've seen the photographs. Right. Um, on yeah. the 29th of March, which was the start of week eight, 
in the hospital. He was transferred to the local community hospital near his home. But at this point, because of COVID rules, once again, my brother and I were not allowed in to see him. How could, could Alan, him. how could they deny you the right to see him? They, 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 had, they had basically said, your dad's going to pass away. So how could they say that you can't see him? That's inhumane, that. I the doctors, because they had treated him as far as they could, um, and he'd, he'd had a couple of poorly spells, really poor in the hospital. But um, when they moved him to the hospital, they put it down on the list as for rehabilitation. Yeah, for physiotherapy, etc. That was what I was told. And when we got to the local community hospital, the nurses were amazed that a person in that condition was actually sent there for that purpose. Now, look, I don't know why this. I, I, I wouldn't even begin to dare to speculate, but there's something very wrong if a doctor or or a consultant says to you and your family. We, we can't do any more for your dad. There's nothing more we can do for him. So we'll move him to a community hospital. That, again, you don't need to be a genius. That's basically saying, you know, your dad's not got long left now. Let's make him comfortable. But they're telling you that and they're sending him to be admitted for rehabilitation, which is a completely different thing. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Has anybody explained that to you? Why that was said? Why that was on the notes? The nurses in the community hospital were baffled as well. They could not understand, but they saw his condition and basically what they'd done, because they were excellent, to be fair. They were more sympathetic towards him. They were uh, more attentive with him, more helpful, and they were able to make him comfortable. But they couldn't understand why he'd been sent there. But I think my own view is that the hospital just wanted them out of the main hospital to free up a bed. That's my opinion. You think that? Yes. Right, yeah, fair enough, yeah. They couldn't do any more for them and they said, we need a bed. And the hospital wasn't busy. And the hospital wasn't, didn't appear to be busy, what I could see. Um, anyway, going back to the community hospital, my brother and I could only see them through a window from outside because we weren't allowed in. And they were managing to get him out of his bed and sit him in a chair. But when we went to the window, he couldn't lift his head. He couldn't hear us or something, even, no even aware that we were there. Um, in, the, in the community hospital, he was still getting oxygen and a nebulizer. But at this point, he was unable to swallow any oral medication. So he wasn't even getting his tablets. Were they feeding him intravenously or trying to? No, no, the respect for him basically took care of that. So he was getting so he, fluids intravenously and that was it? I mean, the respect for him, in my view, is an extension of the do not resuscitate form it that sounds, people get now. It sounds like It's it. an extension of that so that he doesn't get intravenous uh, medication. After he'd been in the community hospital for one week, we were, we were allowed in to see him as he was... Now severely ill, but this only lasted two days, and the family were sent for the second night we were able to see him on the Tuesday, on the 6th of April, and we were only in for 10 minutes when he passed away. Um, and that was kind of, that, that was what happened. 
Uh, right. It's a week today. And it, that was 11... It's a week today since he's funeral. That was 11 weeks since he was... since he got his AstraZeneca jab till he died. And out of these 11 weeks, he spent eight and a half weeks in the hospital. But he was basically incapacitated after day three, after his job. Look, I'll, you know I've got to do my job. Why, yeah. why do you believe, why do you and, and your brother and Caroline and the family, why are you so certain that the job played a part in what happened to Colin? I, I say this because... Look, it's it's on record what I think about these vaccines. It, it, you know, it's it's out there. But at the same time, I know that these people, that the manufacturers of these vaccines, they will say, look, we've given them to millions of people and millions of people are okay. Why do you think that the, the jab played some part in, in what happened to Colin? Well, for a start, we don't believe there is such a thing as coincidence. Alan and I are like yourself, Richard, we research everything, we question everything. I constantly research. I mean, I, I had breast cancer, I have a brain tumour. I myself refused chemotherapy, radiotherapy, and I chose to go down the holistic route. So I did a lot of research on I, I constantly research. And we've researched COVID and the jobs a lot on and trying to get the facts behind these things. And I had actually tried to encourage my father not to have the job um, prior to him receiving it. And what did he say, Alan? What did Colin say when you said, don't have it, Dad, you've, you've, you've done this, you know, you've done well to get to 91, you might not need it. What did he say to that? Exactly. He just kind of, um, I think I found a lot of the elderly people are all the same. They're kind of just going by what they're told to do. I mean, my, my dad got the flu job every year. Um, and he, he thought he never said he, he wouldn't see. I was intending once he got once he got informed about the job, I was going to try and talk to him again. But we never got any information. They just turned up and gave him the job, and we didn't know. That was the other thing. They turned up at his house. We'd seen him on the Sunday. Turned up at his house on the Wednesday, and he told me the day before he'd had the job. No explanation or anything. And tell me this, tell me this, what, what was, was listed as cause of death on Colin's death certificate? Right. On his, on his death certificate, it says repeated chest infections, respiratory tract infections. Now, I think that's the infection that they couldn't, they couldn't tell me where it was. Um, a pulmonary embolism, which was his blood clot. Yeah. Well, that's questionable. We have to speak. We'll speak about this again, Richie, because when because of the COVID situation, you're not allowed to go and register the death. Yeah. Or speak to or speak to the medical examiner. It's all done by it's all digitally done. And on the phone. And on, and via phone. So when they called to find out what they were going to put on the his death certificate. She listed off the three... She listed the, the repeated chest infections, 
the respiratory tract infection. And the frailty, sorry. And his frailty. Because obviously the condition was in. So can, I just, um, can, I, can I just paint a picture for the listeners here now? Because um, thanks for sending me this information. Catherine Hogg was the certifying registered medical practitioner. So it was Catherine yeah. Hogg that was going to basically list the cause of death yeah. for Colin. So she gets, yeah. in, she gets in touch with you then to discuss this. Yes, we spoke to, we spoke to her, yes. And she, um, there were three things you said? Yes, and when she was questioned, we asked her, why is it not down that Colin had a clot in his lung? So she sort of hesitated and after maybe 10 seconds or whatever, she said, oh, just a minute, well, I see that there, but I have that down here, I'll put that down as well. Because had she not put it down, we would have contested it. That's really... That's, I've never heard of anything like that. So she rings up and she says the respiratory infection, the repeated chest infections, and he was physical frailty. And that was that. Yeah. And you had to bring up the lung clot. And, yeah. it, and when you yeah. did, and when you did, she said, oh, oh, yeah, yeah, okay, yeah, I'll list that as well then. That's yes, exactly. I have that information in front of me. I'll put that down as well then. That's because just... if you really have put it down, I would have contested that. I would not have accepted this, what, you're, what you were telling us. But she didn't. She actually didn't try to fight against putting it down. Once she, she was questioned. Once she was questioned on it, she was quite happy to put that down as a contributory factor in his death. And you know what, um, Alan? Neither you nor, nor Caroline nor myself have any medical training or medical ability. I do. But, you know, or you, sorry, you do, Caroline. We'll, we'll come back to that. The, the obvious question is, if, um, if Colin had a lung clot, which is a very serious thing, where did it uh-huh. come from? Where did it exactly. come from is the obvious question, right? Yes. Exactly. Yes. Neither Alan, I, or any of my family, because of the research I've did and constantly, is this an experimental job? I will not call it a vaccine because it's not a vaccine. Mm-hmm. Regarding the, the ingredients, but for, to go ahead and give it to somebody at 91 years old who obviously hasn't got a long time left on this earth, excuse me for saying that. No, no, you're all right. I don't understand. I, don't, I just don't understand that. I don't understand the logic behind it. I find it cruel. It should be sat down. People should be sat down and explained what's in this injection is not. You're given the injection and then handed the leaflet, which is too late. It's in you. It can't be reversed. Our listeners will be screaming at me now to to to, uh, uh, to, to the three of us to say autopsy, autopsy, autopsy. Yeah, I know. I, I already asked Alan that. Why, why not get your dad? Now, oh, what we did forget to tell you is he was constantly tested for COVID and was negative. Yeah, he, got, uh, he was constantly tested. While he was in hospital? Yes. Yes, and the doctor asked me to do what and at home. Uh, as well as a precaution. And I, and I ordered the online kit and I'd, I'd done a test from at home as well. And uh, every test came back negative. This was a gentleman who served his country. He was an RAF veteran. Um, yes. He obviously had he had golden genes because he was 91 and he was able to look after himself and yes. uh, was yes. testing negative for this thing. And yet they gave him a vaccine anyway. Yes. And then yes. he later developed a lung clot after becoming, you know, very, very seriously ill very quickly. There's a yes. lot of questions here that need to be answered and... You know, only an autopsy really would do it. But as I understand it, 
they've been there has been a policy in place not to perform autopsies on people um pretty much anybody who's died in the last 12 months of anything exactly yeah and are you what 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 can you do at this stage now Alan and Caroline in terms of you know are you still trying to get answers from the hospitals involved from Catherine Hogg are you still asking questions and is there anything more that you can do really there really isn't. I filled in the yellow tab. I've, I've did that. I'm not finished yet because, I mean, we just ladies had to, to rest last week. Yeah. Uh, I've not even started fighting with people yet. I get the impression. Well, I get the impression, Caroline. The, the reason you went public is because primarily you want other people to know that you believe that the lung clot was caused by the vaccine. Now I know. Look, yeah. none of us. You. You. I don't say this now to be hard or harsh. You can't prove that, but I understand why you suspect it. If I was in your position and Alan's, if it was my dad, Alan, I would suspect it as well and I'd want answers. But I think primarily yeah. primarily you want people to know that, look, this is what happened to a healthy man after having the vaccine. Be very careful yes. before you have it. Yes. yes, please do your research. Yes. Jesus. And he was only buried last week, was he? God love him. Yeah, I do. I do have a background in nursing. I was a carer for a lot of years. I was nursing assistant at a hospital, so I do. I do have a lot of nursing qualifications. I'm very knowledgeable. I'm very. Uh, I'm a Reiki practitioner. I'm an Indian head massage therapist. You have experience, Caroline. So you, you, you've you've been with people who've been ill. So you you have yes. you have an educated opinion. There's no doubt about that. Yes, I fought cancer myself and a brain tumor. I nursed Alan's mum with cancer. I nursed my own mum with cancer while I had cancer. I was going to ask you, Caroline. You're in remission now from from the brain tumor, are you? Yes, I'm not in remission. I don't. I, I didn't accept any treatment for. My, my, for the cancer of the breast, I wanted them to remove the tumour. I refused chemotherapy, radiotherapy and their medication and I walked away because I'm a great believer, believer in holistic medicine. So I chose to go down the holistic route to treat myself. And have you changed your diet and stuff like that? Yes, I've changed everything. I, I saw, a, a, well, I won't name a, the person, but I saw a good homeopath. I've, I've had the regular cancer checkups like you have to do every year anyway. Yeah. Which is clear. And it's my clear, brain tumours eh? uh, I have to as was normally monitored every six months by scan. But since I've been taking holistic medicine to treat that, which is homeopathy, I'll I'll, I'll put that out there. As my brain tumour has not grown. It hasn't grown since you began the holistic grown. approach. Thank so now God for that. My, so now my six-monthly scan has went to a yearly scan. And I feel well. Good for you, Had, I, had I taken Big Pharma's medication, because that's all I call it, poison, I would not be, I wouldn't be speaking to you just now. Well, you know, God, you know, touch wood, none of us, that your, that your recovery continues. Caroline, and, and touch wood that all, all of us, you know, stay healthy. 
if um, yeah. if I was unfortunate enough to come down with with any cancer, um, if it's brain cancer, there's no way I'm having radiotherapy. You'd have to be off your head. No, no other way I can say that. I, I've seen too many people be destroyed by it, particularly the the, the brain tumours. I think yeah, fair, not, remarkable. My, luckily enough, my brain tumour isn't cancerous. It's been it's uh, benign, is it? It's benign. It's benign. But I thought of homeopath, so and the whole objective of that was to keep it stable at the same size and then start to shrink it, which is happening in the last results. I've heard from so many people over the years who adopted a similar approach to you, Caroline, and, and did very well out of it. Can we just briefly come back... Um, to, to to congratulations by the way I mean that come back to, to Colin um, yes. we'll we'll, um, we'll we'll leave it here for now because you know you've told us what happened to him and you've done you've done it very eloquently you've painted a pretty grim p- picture of, of of a gentleman who was in you know obviously in advancing years but he was doing quite well and he went down yes. very he went downhill very quickly having had the vaccine um I don't know what to say to you really, Alan, as his son, because there must be a sense of, um, you must have a real sense of, you know, of, of wrong, of being wronged as a family, yes. that, that this has happened to him. And I don't know how you deal with that, really. How do you approach it yourself? Um, well, I think the, the way that the government have adopted how, how, they're, how they're approaching the elderly in particular, elderly people don't, tend not to question everything the same way, the same way as we do. Yeah. And if somebody on the television or the radio is saying, this is a good thing to do, then they, they go along with it. Um, and all you can do with your elderly parents is try to advise them. But they are old school people. They're very old school and they just go ahead and do what, what they're getting told is best for them. And do you know what annoys me? Do you know what annoys me? Sorry for butting in. It's all very well for them to say these clotting incidents are rare. Tell that to you and to Caroline and to your brother. Well, anybody speaks to me about it, the first yeah. thing I say to them, that killed, that killed, as far as I'm concerned, the vaccination killed my father. And we've seen the That's statistics. Nice. You know, even if um, Colin had, had come down with coronavirus, even if he had gotten it, the the, the 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 odds against him dying of it were very long. If he had got coronavirus, more than likely he would have survived it. You know, we've seen the yes. statistics. You know, this is a fact. Yes. Vaccines are, you know, they say that the risk outweighs, uh, sorry, the benefit outweighs the risk, but obviously it doesn't. Do not put something that, that hasn't been fully tested. No. On anyone into their body. It came out in a matter of... That's why these events are happening, because they had, contrary to what you hear on the television, the, the vaccinations have not been tested for long enough. No. And I saw a story, I saw a story yesterday. A Glaswegian lady had the vaccine and dermatologists are saying it must be the vaccine. Her whole body broke out in blood blisters to the point she thought she was going to lose her legs. I mean, we don't know the half of it, maybe. Rich, I have a, a, an elderly couple who lives up maybe six miles down from me. And I'll make soup and that and I'll take it down to give them that. And I went down to see her last Friday, Alan. Eh? Mm. Went down to see her last Friday. And I said, how are you doing, Mary? Because I knew she'd had a, she had Pfizer, the 
Pfizer, sorry. She had a Pfizer. Had, uh, and she was having problems with her sight. With her sight? With, with her sight, yes. Yeah. She couldn't see. She says, Caroline, I can hardly see it. And I, and I've... Husband sort of like old school, but maybe it's not a nice thing to say, but he's he sort of domineering. Right. So she'll sort of go along, but then she was booked in for the vaccine the next day. And I says, oh, please, maybe don't, t- don't take it, don't take it. Caroline, what can I do? Well, she went for the vaccine. So Monday, was it Monday, Alan? I was getting that worried. Was second dose. That was a second dose. Yeah. I was getting worried, eh? Aye. But I had my grandchild in the morning, so I sent Alan along to go check. And my husband kept Alan at the door, but he said to Alan, Alan, I'll, t- Alan, I'll tell you. And I asked him how the two of them were doing since they got their second job. Um, Robert hadn't had his second job, but he was due it uh, the following Sunday. But Mary uh, hadn't been well since... He wouldn't elaborate. I asked him a couple of questions. What was her symptoms and that? But he just said to me, she's not been well for she got her second job. And since she got her first job, she's had an enormous amount of trouble with her eyesight. And we have researched and found that that is affecting people's eyesight. I'm actually going to go along to stairs after I speak to you. You see how, see how she's getting on today. And you wonder then, yeah. you wonder would they have reported that? Would they? Because I wonder how many people don't report. I they haven't actually. I mean, I've tried to certainly explain it, but there just wasn't the mainstream media and, and like sort everybody of else. Your doctor, if you get a letter to your doctor, you must go, sort of thing. Yeah. So when our letter arrived, that mine wasn't even opened, and it was put right in the bin. Same as mine. In, well, I took a photograph <laughs> of mine, then I put it in the bin. Yeah. I think you were right, Richie, that there's a, a large proportion of people not reporting things. I'm not convinced that everybody is reporting when they're getting issues. Alan didn't know about the yellow card until I told him, and I thought it was me that filled it in. Well, it's funny. It's funny you say that, um, both of you, because I know of somebody who developed a clot after the AstraZeneca first dose, and thankfully, thanks be to to God, um, it was dissolved with medication fairly quickly. But I know that that person didn't report that. I know this through through a third party, and they just said, "Ah, well, you know, it was one of those things," and they didn't report it. I wonder how many people are not reporting it. But exactly, yeah, because they don't know about it. Listen, can I can I just thank you for coming on the two E? And first of all, no, I mean, I, I, when I say I'm sorry for what happened to Colin, I really do mean that. I know I didn't know him, and I didn't know you uh, both until obviously very recently. But um, uh-huh. you know, I I know what it's like to lose somebody I love. And and it's not easy. And under these circumstances, it must be even more, you know, heartbreaking and frustrating. I, I think the two of you are brilliant. And I hope that people will look at what happened to Colin and it will make them, you know, at least think again and do a little bit more looking into these drugs and what these drugs yeah. might be doing. And if that's the case and if it stops somebody, you know, from getting a clot or something more serious, I think... Um, oh. You know, it, 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 you know, Colin's death won't have been in vain. But I want to thank you for sharing his story um, with me. You're welcome. It's just please do your research. Please go by. Don't look at Google. It's for kids. That's what I'll say. And the very best of luck, Alan, to you and your brother and and the rest yep. of Colin's family. And look, stay in touch with me through uh, Twitter. And if there's ever anything we can do, um, we'll be only too glad to do it. And I hope your friend. 
uh, who had the, the Pfizer and who's had the difficulty with the eyesight. I hope um, she'll be okay in, uh, in yeah. the, you know, in the long run. And again, thanks for sharing your time with us today. You're welcome. You're welcome. Thanks very much, Richie. Yeah, that was Alan Wise there and Caroline Wise, Alan's wife, whom I saw on Twitter a couple of weeks back talking about Colin Wise and how gravely unwell he was and then that he passed away and that things took a very bad turn for him in January just after he got the first dose of the AstraZeneca vaccine. To very briefly sum up, I don't want to do it in injustice, but he had the vaccine against the understanding of the family. And within days, he was gravely ill, very, very ill with um, infections, uh, seemingly chest infections. At least that's what the doctor said initially. They said he was in a bad way, but they said, you know, they wouldn't send him to hospital because if they did, he might not make it out of there. But in the end, they had to send him to hospital anyway. And uh, when he went to hospital, he began to deteriorate. You know, he couldn't eat and he couldn't swallow and the infections got even worse. And this was baffling the attending doctors in the hospital. They were giving him very, very strong antibiotic medication, the best and the strongest they had. But it wouldn't, um, it wasn't doing him any good at all. And then they discovered a clot on his lung, a lung clot, and obviously complicating matters uh, further. Uh, dreadful stuff, really, for the family. And he hung on in there for weeks until eventually the doctor said, look, we, we really don't know what's happening. We can't do any more for him. So why don't we transport him to a community hospital? And there was an understanding that by doing that, he'd be going to be made comfortable and to slip away. But rather bizarrely, the notes that accompanied Colin from the big main hospital to the community hospital said that he was being sent there for rehabilitation, which is a contradiction in terms of what the family had been told. They'd been told that, you know, they couldn't find infections. They were told he would keep getting infections. They would get worse and worse and worse, and eventually he would pass away. And in the community hospital, he did pass away. And the um, person registering, responsible for registering the cause of death, a woman, uh, contacted the family by phone and said the infections and frailty and uh, this and that, these are the causes of death. And Colin and Caroline said, well, hang on a second, what about the, the, the lung clot, the blood clot? That must have played a big part in his death. And without fighting back against that without any argument, the, the woman put that down on the death certificate. Um, they also said, of course, that when they told hospital staff at the very beginning, listen, dad was fine until he got the vaccine, the staff just wouldn't comment on it. They didn't really want to talk about it at all. And they'd only become alarmed about that because they'd heard... Obviously, it was in the news that the AstraZeneca vaccine could cause clotting in some people, though the manufacturers say it's so rare as to be basically not important. Um, so dreadful stuff, really. Thanks to them again for coming on and speaking with me on Friday. And uh, they wanted to do that because they want to know that these things are happening. Uh, they want people to know that these things are happening. And that, you know, everybody should know about these things before accepting a vaccine. And this is a 91-year-old gentleman, no spring chicken, at 91. But you're not dead when you're 91. 
91 is not old, old anymore. It's old. You're not going to be running up and down Kilimanjaro for children in need, right? You're not going to be running 10k uh, fun runs, although I'm sure now somebody's going to tell me they know somebody in his 90s or her 90s who runs fun runs. Spare me. I'm sure there's an exception. But he was healthy, he was doing well, and he was living in his own house. And he went from that to being in hospital, struggling, fighting for his life, within days of taking a vaccine that he didn't need. Because even if he had contracted coronavirus, even at the age of 91, the chances of it killing him are still very, very remote because he was in good health. He wasn't somebody with a lot of comorbidities. He had a catheter, catheter, catheter inserted. Uh, God love him, but he was in decent health anyway. Um, Alan Wise and Caroline Wise on Monday's Richie Allen programme. The time is coming up for uh, nine minutes past six. I'll be I'll be joined in a few minutes by Sharon Smith. No more lockdowns, Wales is a party fielding. Uh, candidates in the Senate elections, which obviously take place in only a couple of weeks' time. We'll hear from Sharon. I was put in touch with Sharon by the Reverend Jamie Franklin, who was brilliant on this programme last week. I really enjoyed listening to him. Music from R.E.M. then. It's a first tune of the evening, I think. It is indeed. You're with the Richie Allen Radio Show, by the way, live from Salford, with me, Richie Allen. Thanks, as always, for joining me. Michael Stipe, R.E.M., Losing My Religion, back with more chat and your comments. God, that takes me back. God, what was I in when that came out? Fifth year in secondary school in Port Lorigan in St. Paul's Community College. I think so. I think it was in fifth year. What year was that? 91, was it? 90 or 91? R.E.M. What was the album called again? In Time, was it? God. Yes, early onset dementia for the BBG, it must be. I'm normally good at that sort of thing. Recalling, recollection, I'm pretty decent at it, you know, you know. How are you, by the way? 13 minutes past the hour. If you uh, just joined the programme, you missed an important conversation uh, with uh, Colin, excuse me, about Colin Wise, rest in peace. Uh, a conversation with his son Alan and daughter-in-law Caroline. Uh, this programme is, of course, always archived on Podomatic.com. Yes, Spotify is censoring the programme. That has been confirmed now. Any discussion of lockdown or vaccines and Spotify is going to chop the programme up. It's an outrage, but I, I really don't care. I don't get wound up by stuff like that. It is what it is, right? What can you do? It will not be censored on Podomatic.com. RichieAllen.Podomatic.com That's the link. On you go. Before we welcome Sharon to the programme, and I'm looking forward to chatting with her. She comes across great, uh, does Sharon. Uh, another Sharon on Twitter, that's Shasta Sharon, says, Thanks to Alan and Caroline for sharing their story. I know someone, says Sharon, whose grandmother developed a blood clot behind her eyes following her jab and was un- unable to see as well. Not sure how she is now. Isn't that interesting? Because Caroline told me during the conversation that her neighbour had the Pfizer jab and had difficulty with her sight. And I'm waiting for Caroline to get back to me uh, to let me know, in fact, how her neighbour is. Hopefully, her sight is uh, has improved since Friday. And Sarah Louise, good evening, Sarah Louise, says, Richie, listening to you talking about the gentleman who died, who died, Colin, that is, today it was the funeral of one of my friends. 
she died suddenly and very unexpectedly heart uh, heart problem after the second vaccine. No one has questioned her death. She was in her early 50s. It's so tragic and nobody is asking any questions. That's Sarah Louise on Twitter. Thanks, Sarah Louise. And Ewan Cooper says, rather depressingly, not a... Not a criticism, Ewan, not a criticism, my friend. It is depressing, but you're right to say it. He says, I fear we'll be having more of these types of conversations over the next few months. I fear you're right. I fear you're right. So let's introduce then my next guest. I'm looking forward to catching up with her. I really am. And again, a big shout out to the Reverend Jamie Franklin for getting in touch with me and recommending that uh, we speak, uh, that I speak to Sharon, that you and I speak to Sharon. Now, No More Lockdowns, I'm going to give you the website right now. It's nomorelockdowns.wales. That's nomorelockdowns.wales. It's a political party set up to end all lockdown policies and to end all restrictions in Wales, the great country of Wales. And No More Lockdowns is standing candidates in the 2021 Senate elections. That takes place really soon. And one of the candidates is none other than Sharon Smith, and she's kindly agreed to come on and chat with us today. Sharon, you're very welcome to the programme. How are you? Hi, Richie. I'm great, thank you. How are you? I'm not too shabby. I was going to do that really, you know, that schmoozy presenter thing. I was going to grab a couple of Welsh phrases to welcome <laughs> you, but then I thought I'll just butcher them and make a holy show of myself, so I won't do that. Um, but you are very welcome. Thanks for doing a short notice as well. And again, folks, no more lockdowns. Dot Wales. Politics. Uh, and standing in an election, in foreign election, I'm guessing this is totally new to you, Sharon. It is new to me, although I was a Tory candidate at one time. I was uh, re- a real committed member of the Tory party um, right up until the 23rd of March 2020. Um, and on that day, I resigned immediately. So there you go. So so that's where I, that's how I ended up where I am now, really. Great place to start then. So you're a member of the Conservative Party. And yeah. I, 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 do you know how many Conservative men and women that have emailed me privately to say they still cannot believe that a Conservative government told businesses around the country that they had to close down, put people out of work and everything else that happened. So that came as a massive shock to you then? A massive shock because up until, well, the general election, I went to dinners with after uh, party, after dinner speakers with uh, Boris Johnson speaking after dinner and also Jacob Rees-Mogg. I went to two with Jacob Rees-Mogg before the election and they both gave um, these amazing speeches. You know, we were all clapping and I feel a real fool now because, you know, I was really taken in by it. They were telling us how they were libertarians how they were going to get rid of the nanny state. They were going to make people more responsible for themselves. It was, they were going to have a real hands-off government. And here we go. And here we <laughs> so, go, yeah. Here we go. And on the 23rd of March, I, I just couldn't believe my ears. Because though, you know, Boris Johnson was somebody that I actually heard say that to my face. You know, he was there in front of me, probably about three metres away, telling me about how he was going to get rid of the nanny state. 
Yeah, post-Brexit, they promised a wonderful world, didn't they, post-Brexit, full of opportunity for British businessmen and women and entrepreneurs. It was all going to be hunky-dory. Now, your pal, I'm going to call him your pal because you rubbed shoulders with him, Jacob Rees-Mogg. We're talking to the woman who met Jacob Rees-Mogg, folks. That's as close to celebrity as you get on this (laughs) programme. So Jacob Rees-Mogg, right. Now, if he was here now, he would say, all joking aside, Sharon, he would say, listen, um, Chris Whitty, uh, Jonathan Van Tam, Patrick Valance, these are senior scientists. They told us we had to do this. What are we supposed to do? Ultimately, we are politicians. We are men of the stump, men and women of the stump. We had to go along with what they said. That's what they would say. What would you say? Well, I would say that actually they're not overly very qualified, those people that you've listed. Chris Whitty, I know people that are much more qualified than Chris Whitty. I've got two personal friends, close friends, that are much better qualified than him. Um, there's all the people that signed the Great Barrington Declaration. Who, who do they? Who do these people think they are? Thousands. When, when you mention Great Barrington, you're talking thousands of men, men and women, nurses, doctors, academics. Thousands, aren't you, Sharon? You're not talking about a hundred. You're talking no. about tens of thousands. Yeah. And I'm talking about two that are very close friends of mine who who are just as well qualified, if not better qualified, than Sir Patrick Valance and also Chris Whitty. And they would say a completely different story. So really, who who do the politicians think they are? I won't ask you about your friends. I won't ask you to name them. I I won't do that. Uh, They must be bewildered, right? Absolutely. Completely bewildered, completely bewildered, um, you know, and, and, you know, neither of them would go along with any of this. Um, one of them, I, you know, I go to his, his house all the time. We stay over my, you know, a bunch of friends, you know, they quite clearly, neither of them agree with it. But but they're bewildered because, you know, that like me, they just thought, well, somebody must have made a mistake. But here we go over a year later. There's not mistakes been made. This has just been planned, hasn't it? So, so Mog and, and Johnson and others don't get a pass on the basis, I agree with you, by the way, on the basis that they would know, wouldn't they, Sharon, that there are, I mean, in this country alone, you've got Carl Hennigan, who was on uh, talk radio yep. this morning. You've got all of these people uh, who say, listen, uh, this is terribly, terribly wrong and terribly dangerous. So there's no excuse for Johnson and Mog. At least, no, my, yeah, go no. Ahead. My, my friends have written uh, endless letters. One of my friends has driven himself almost mental, you know, writing letters to politicians, trying to explain things in layman's terms about why they were doing the wrong thing. So it's clear, you know, and and they've never responded. It's very clear that they're just talking absolute nonsense, and you know, they're going along with some sort of plan, which is quite sinister really we'll come back to the sinister plan on a personal note let me remind our listeners Sharon Smith is our guest uh, this hour folks no more lockdowns dot Wales that's lockdowns plural so it's no more lockdowns dot Wales Sharon is standing and more power to her for uh, for doing something and trying to do something about it Um, personally Sharon I mean, I didn't ask you about your own. I mean, you, you said you had stood for the Tories sometime before. I don't want to get yeah. too personal about your own job, about your own background. But what has it meant for you the last 12 months? How has it changed your own life? It's just quite sinister to worry about what's going on. I'm quite lucky because I'm self-employed. Um, so, I, you know, I don't have that worry about, you know, people, um, you know, um, trying to stop you earning a living, the whole mask thing, none of that applies to me because I make my own money. And 
you know, my close friends are very much on the page. And I feel really, really lucky about that. that I've got such great friends that are so supportive. And I've got two friends, Adele and Aldine, that were with me in the Tory party. And they were exactly on the same page immediately. So they're very supportive. Um, So so I am actually really, really lucky um, that my life has sort of carried on and, you know, I've carried on socialising and I've carried on having support. There are friends that have obviously have have disappeared off the scene, but I've also, you know, on the other hand, made some even better friends again, you know, real people and probably people that I wouldn't have come into contact with when I was, a, you know, a Tory and going along with that sort of scene. I've had some much more sort of honest and, you know, great friends that are great backup um, that we meet with all the time because there's quite a, a big anti-lockdown movement in North Wales and we do meet up on a regular basis and we have done for about a year. So uh, those people know who they are. Again, I, I'm not going to name them, no, no. but they're very, very, very supportive and there's a big group of us. So, yeah, it's great. It's great in a way. You know, there's a lot of great things, actually, I think, that have come out of this. But the the plan is very sinister and, you know, we all need to push back, really, against everything that's going on. Yeah, and there's no tomorrow. It's got to be done now. It's If you want to read the manifesto of No More Lockdowns Wales, go to the address nomorelockdowns.wales forward slash manifesto. nomorelockdowns.wales forward slash manifesto. And um, you'll get the principles and the policies there. It's pretty straightforward. It's very easy to read. Um, the... Uh, response to COVID-19 was panicked and irrational, according to the party. A failed experiment as well, fueled by fear and not by reasoned debate. It's very good. Um, it's very succinct and, and very easy to understand. What's the agenda then? I mean, you know, I talk about this to people who I used to work with in radio back, in commercial radio in, in Ireland and in Spain, and they're not on the same page as you and me and others. They don't see any conspiracy. And I say to them, they say to me, you know, these politicians are too thick and they're too self-serving to be this fiendishly clever to be pushing some sort of agenda. Even if you're right, Richie, they tell me, uh, Sharon, if you're right, it's just because they're foolish and stupid. But you think it's more sinister? I think it's more sinister than that. I think it's got to be more sinister. Nobody could clearly be that stupid, surely. Maybe they could, but um, even if they are that stupid, there's somebody driving it from above. Um, and Klaus Schwab, you know, he's 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 already published it in his book anyway. I mean, it's all there out in the open, isn't it? It's hardly a, even a conspiracy, is it? It's quite open what they're doing. Yeah. It is, yeah. Well, in light of the fact that you've got University College London telling us that this is over, um, basically it's over, it's been over for ages, herd immunity was achieved ages ago, the vaccines, I have, we, we might differ on the vaccines, but it doesn't matter. They say the vaccines <laughs> no, are... I don't think so. <laughs> we, we might come to that. They say the vaccines are great, all the vulnerable people have had them, um, everything is hunky-dory, and yet they still persist and they talk about variants and they talk about, you know, jabs in the autumn and then jabs next year. Maybe we need to keep some of the measures, maybe we need to keep some social distancing and some masks. It's all very bleak, even though the evidence is whatever COVID was, it's pretty much gone now. So I'm with you on that. They, they can't be that stupid. There's got to be some agenda here. What about those who would say, Richie and Sharon, you're totally irresponsible Muppets. Look at what's happening in India. 
There's people dying in the streets in India, they might say to us. But, but I hear that, um, I've heard from a few people, that in India it's not quite the story that we're being told on the TV. You know, when the South African strain was, or everyone was freaking out about that here, I was actually in South Africa. You were there, were um, you? Wow. I was there. I, well, yeah, I'm probably going to get into trouble for saying this, but who cares? Um, when they announced the lockdown before Christmas, I booked a ticket and cleared off to South Africa because they were saying about the South African strain and a friend of mine owns a house over there. So um, myself and her decided to uh, book a ticket and clear off to South Africa and have, see if we could find the South African strain. And when we were there, no one knew what we were talking about. Nobody knew what you were talking about. But yeah. hang, on, hang on a second. I've just got Cressida Dick on the other line from London. <laughs> uh, £10,000, Sharon. £10,000. <laughs> uh, Cressida Dick. That would be fun. That, if I could do that, I would do it. I would get her on. So, so you're there in South Africa. I've never been myself. Yeah. I imagine it's beautiful. And we'll nobody, a lovely time. Wonderful. And nobody is sick and nobody has heard of no. their own variant. No, no, no. You know, they were just all saying about... You know, it was the same as here, really. You know, there was a, a lot of people, you know, wearing masks, um, but you could still go into shops and say, no, I'm, you know, no, I'm exempt. No, thank you very much. And that was absolutely fine. It was no really, not really any different to here. And they'd not heard of this special South African variant. So so, so you're saying that what we're seeing in India, we, we, we might be getting... I don't know how to phrase this, but we, we, what they might be exaggerating, and is that what you're saying? Because Sky News yeah. have put on a really... Or they, or they give some such weird uh, news, don't they? You know, I was at the protest on Saturday, and yet it hardly even got a mention. And there was just, I mean, I've heard that the estimations are three quarters of a million, and it must be that, because I, I was going down the mile, and there was people crowded as far as you could see in front of you and as far as you could see behind you yeah. and I've seen drone footage and it was hardly even mentioned on the news so the fact that they're saying about this Indian variant I don't know who knows but I wouldn't trust them anyway I don't either I mean the the production laid on by Sky News is incredibly elaborate it's very well produced and it's got the creepy music and it's got the very deep voice of the voiceover guy telling us that it's all dreadful. But I remember Sky doing that in Italy at the beginning of it. And the picture they painted about Italy wasn't exactly accurate either. So I'm willing, yeah. I'm willing to, to, go, uh, to go along with that. Sharon Smith is on the programme. No more lockdowns. Dot Wales, the party that's going to field candidates for the Senate election, which is very, very uh, soon. It's coming up very soon in, in May. Hugely interested in this. Uh, it must have given you, but just to go back just for a second, if there were three quarters of a million people, and I'm willing to go along with that too, because I've seen the footage, you must have gotten some boost from that. Oh, it's just amazing. And, you know, it's there's people all around you. It was like a, a real party atmosphere. Everyone was hugging each other. You know, it's just amazing to see so many normal people as well, you know, because I, I don't know about you, but I'm quite grumpy when I, if I go shopping, I went shopping earlier today, just wanted to go to Waitrose to buy some food. And it's, you know, they're very nice. And, you know, they never, they never say anything about you not wearing masks. But it's just not a very nice atmosphere no. with people wandering around dressed like that. And, uh, you know, when they're all jumping out of the way and jumping into the freezers when you walk past, it's just it's just <laughs> not a nice way to live. And jumping into to the go, freezers. Yeah, <laughs> yeah I've that a lot of times. Yeah. Um, 
But, you know, to go to London and have people crowded all around you like you would, at a, you know, a concert or a, a nightclub or something. It was just like that, like being in a nightclub, you know, it was really uplifting. And everybody's just crowded around you. No one's trying to keep their distance. It's just it's just amazing. It's brilliant to hear and this. I, and I've been to a lot of those protests. And funnily enough, and I even went to South Africa with a South African variant. And funny enough, I'm just not dead. You're not dead and you're not ill either. No. Now, no. running uh, as a candidate, you've discovered some interesting and annoying and, let's be honest, um, some pretty rotten things going on in terms of, you know, you mentioned to me you, you should be able to have a counting agent present when the tallies are, are being done and, and all the rest of it. But that's just the, begin, the beginning of it. Tell us about that, the process, how it should be and the things that you're going to be coming up against, um, you know, from, from, the, from the authority. From how, how do you describe, what are they called these people, the people who run these elections? Anyway, you'll explain it to us, but it's not easy for you. No, well, um, you know, I had to give, going back to even the beginning. So a few weeks ago, I had to fill in the forms. We had to fill in the forms for the party and I had to hand them in face to face at the council offices. So, you know, off I go. We're called the no more lockdowns party. So it seems a bit obvious. And um, I turn up at the allocated time when you were supposed to go and hand in your forms. And a lady meets me at the door with her mask on and, and refuses me entry. Um, because I told her I was exempt from wearing um, a face mask and she wouldn't allow me in. Um, and she told me that I had to stand outside in the snow. Um, so I just said, well, well, this is just unacceptable. So I got in my car and, and cleared off out of the car park and just said, you know, you need to speak to somebody because this is not acceptable way to treat people. Um, and then I was invited back. And again, they tried to have the meeting outside. Um, and again, I just refused to engage. So I drove off and then in the end, third time lucky, they allowed me into the council offices and that was just to hand in the forms. Um, and now the counting agents who are people that go along and make sure everything's fair. I've, uh, you know, you can allocate your own counting agents. I can't do that because, um, you know, they've said that, that anybody that goes has got to wear a face mask and do the hand sanitizer and all of that. Now, and can I, I stop I you right there? Can I stop you right there? Um, there, there's obviously somebody is in breach now of human rights rules and regulations. You can't deny somebody access somewhere if they've got an exemption from wearing a face covering. You just can't do that. So they shouldn't be in a position to say to you, like if you chose somebody to be your agent to, to keep an eye on the counting, and if that person, say, had asthma or something or, or, or some other uh, illness, they don't have the right, uh, Sharon, to say, no, you, you can't come in, you've got to wear the mask. Dave told me that no counting agents are going to be allowed in there without a mask. Discrimination. Um, and they've also, I mean, I've had the, you know, I'm friends of mine, we've had the polling cards through. There's a leaflet in there, which I have emailed, I haven't come back to me. Um, but, you know, it's like, it's like, it, it's like fighting a losing battle. And it's not something, sadly, that I'm surprised at. But, you know, there's, there's leaflets in with the polling cards that say, 
you to go into a polling station you have to wear a face mask and and the leaflets don't mention and also on the polling card it doesn't mention anything about exemptions it just says um you have to wear masks and that's it so it's going to put people off voting yes you know people don't like it it should be tested legally shouldn't it it should Anybody who's got any reason not to wear a mask, and that's your own business, by the way, uh, dear listener. If you're listening to Sharon Smith and, and, and me, if you're listening right now, that's your own business. You might have a psychological reason why you're uncomfortable with a mask on. Uh, you know, you could have, um, your, your, your eyesight could be impaired. Uh, you might need to read lips. Like myself, you might have asthma. Anything. And you do not have to explain to these people what it is that um, your reason is. You don't need to give them your reason. Uh, they made this pretty clear at the beginning. Uh, the government and the NHS, but it seems to have been forgotten, Sharon. I was in Ambleside a couple of weeks back and some of the shops there had signs, aggressive looking signs, block capital letters, no exceptions. Who the hell are these people? I know. And and I think a lot of people that wear masks do, you know, they come up to me when I'm out shopping and do say, how do you do that? How, you know, how do you get away with not wearing a mask? And you, well, no, to be fair, I rarely get challenged. The only real awful thing that happened to me with the whole mask was um, a police officer <laughs> um, told me in Tesco's in Bangor, and I have got it on tape, um, and I filmed it because, you know, he was being quite aggressive, and he it was a police officer, and he stopped me having access, and he said that I had to prove my exemption. Wow. Um, and I said, well, no, I don't. You know, you're a police officer. You should know better. And he said that I had to prove my exemption and I should wear a badge. He actually said a badge, um, which I wasn't very happy about. Wow. I did say, well, what, what would you rather that I wore a, a yellow star on my arm? Um, and it didn't go down very well, to be honest. And I was told also that I was at the wrong Tesco's because they asked me where I lived. Um, and I wasn't at the Tesco's that's nearest to my house. Oh God! Um, so I was at the I was shopping at the wrong Tesco's, and they did say they were going to send me a fine, but I didn't get a fine you for that. You never got a fine. Um, but you know, you you most people aren't quite as robust as me, so most people would just give in, wouldn't they? Just wear the mask, do as you're told, shop at the right supermarket, and you know, and shut up. I'm not very good at that, to be honest. So. And more power to you uh, and your courage. I have great admiration for that. At the same time, I can hear the frustration in your voice that so many are acquiescing and going along with it. It bugs me, Sharon. It drives me crazy when I see people outside. I wonder, where's your spine, you know? Where's the spine? You know, some great things were achieved by people in this country going back centuries. And some not great things, but that doesn't matter either. And, and in my own country... I'm very proud of where I come from. I know you're very proud to be um, to be Welsh. Um, what I, happened to us? I, 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 going back to what you said, I, I know this is probably a controversial thing to say, but I've been to a lot of protests, a lot of protests around the country, mainly probably through um, selfish reasons, because I do find them uplifting. And I, I do like to be in a crowd with like-minded people. I find it really... You know, it gives you strength, I think. Um, but sadly, most of the people at a lot of these protests are mainly women and older people. What, what happened? What happened to the youngsters? And, and what happened to the men? Where's there the aren't men gone? really hardly any men that ever take part. Do you know where the men are? They're in boots getting makeup put on them. That's where the men are. Now, I'm actually not a, you know, 
very conservative or, or, or person whose politics is on the right. My politics, when I had them, were very much on the left, but I've been bemused by the emasculation of men. I agree with you. Where are the men? Where are the men? Where are they going? I know I, I've been saying, you know, I'm quite a strong-minded woman and I, I can look after myself, but I've been saying that for quite a long time, which is really strange, but I have noticed that for maybe the last 20 years. I, myself and some friends have been saying, what, what's happened to all the real men? We could do a whole show on that, I think. I think we could be here for hours. Um, I want to talk more about the party and what you're doing and what you might need and help that you might need from listeners, particularly listeners in Wales, obviously. We've got Sharon Smith on the programme. She'll be standing for election next month. No more lockdowns Wales is the party. No more lockdowns dot Wales is the website. No more lockdowns dot Wales. Help out if you can. There's a get involved um, tab on the banner of the website. Check it out there. How many candidates do you think you might be running then, Sharon? There's three candidates. There's two in South Wales and there's myself in um, Aberconway. So my constituency is Aberconway in North Wales. So I live in Conway. Um, and, you know, the hus- they've been doing hustings um, for, for this um, election. But I haven't been taking part because they've been run by the Daily Post, which is very pro-lockdown. It's, a, it's an awful newspaper, to be honest, but it's, it's the local newspaper. And, you know, I've taken advice and, and decided really that getting involved with that was not a great idea. Um, and when they've put about the party in the, or the election in the newspapers, they've put me down as being an independent. Because the reason, you know, it's called the No More Lockdowns Party is just as long as somebody sees the party name. Yeah, yeah. You would think they'd pretty much know what we stand for. Straight even, away. <laughs> yeah, straight away. So it's quite obvious. So I think that's why the newspapers don't even want to publish the party name. That's egregious um, now. That is egregious. That is dreadful, if that's the case. That's disgraceful. Well, I can't think of any more reason, can yeah. you? No, I can't. It's outrageous. It's, it's unbecoming of any journalist. It's disgraceful, you know. If you want to take on the policies, and if you want to argue with you and your colleagues, by all means, go ahead. But don't deliberately, you know, omit the name of the party. That's just disgraceful. But unsurprising uh, to me. I've been around long enough now. And you, what I love about you is you've got this attitude of just like, well, you just keep going, you know, keep going anyway. You expect them to do these things and to make life difficult for you. I mean, even the hustings are, are Zoom, did you say? Yeah, they're all oh, on Jesus. Zoom, and they're just uh, they're just dreadful. I mean, last week there was one on Zoom, and and um, I I could go on their awful hustings, or I could go on the James Dellingpoll show. So yeah. I, I went on James Dellingpoll. Good on you! Reach more people on James's <laughs> podcast anyway, so so it's the right thing to do. And of course, you've got in common with James that you've rubbed shoulders with yeah, some I with some Titan Tories. Yeah. Uh, you sent a nice picture, actually, of of you, you met him over the over the Saturday. Great guy, and of course he's as bewildered as you as to what happened to the Libertarian Conservative Party. I'm yeah, sure you had plenty you know, to talk myself about. Myself and James are quite are quite you know um, quite similar, really, and you know it was great it was great to speak to him. Um, but at the same time, I, I sort of went back and looked at this Zoom hustings that I'd missed out on. And um, they said on there that I'd, um, that I'd refused to take part, which I suppose was true. Um, but I, I just don't think I could have sat through it anyway. Yeah. Because the, the main parties, there was Labour, there was Conservative, there was Plaid Cymru and there was the Lib Dems on there. 
Um, and they were having these awful discussions about, you know, they weren't actually um, addressing what's going on at all. They were talking as if the last year was just a blip. And they were having, you know, arguments about, well, we're going to give more money to the old people. No, we're going to give more money oh, to God. the elderly. God no, elderly. And you think that this is just ridiculous. There won't be any money. Listen. There won't be any money, you goons. That's what you I want know. to scream at them. There'll be no money left. I know. No, yeah, nobody and, and, and as if they care about the elderly anyway, yeah. what have they done to them for the last year? You know, the, yeah. the, the present member of the Senate is somebody that I was friends with, actually called Janet. You know, and, and she hasn't spoken up at all. And she pre- pretends to, to care about the elderly. Well, really, they've been locked up in the old people's homes. You know, where we live, it's a real, you know, there's a lot of our elderly people where we live is a really, uh, you know, high concentration of elderly people in, in Abercombe. And they've just been locked in the nursing homes. Yeah, they have. And uh, again, there's something we could speak at length about on this programme. It's 16 and a half minutes to 7 o'clock. You're listening to The Richie Allen Show for Monday, the 26th of April 2021. Sharon Smith is on the programme. Do me a favour and check out nomorelockdowns.wales and nomorelockdowns.wales slash manifesto. Check out what the party stands for. I know it's obvious. Three candidates running, uh, very succinct on, on online, explaining what they feel and why they feel that way and um, you know I can't say any more than I hope it all goes well for you so can I ask you this was you it sounds like massive change for you March you know 2020 you began to 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 think about things and to contemplate things dare I say Sharon that sometime before that you would have thought maybe silly and conspiratorial and a bit mad is it fair to say that Absolutely, absolutely. Whoever would have thought, if you'd have told me in February 2020 that in September 2020 I would have been in Trafalgar Square, um, you know, uh, cheering for David Icke, I'd have thought you were bonkers. Yeah. <laughs> because I, I just thought he was some crazy guy. You know, I wouldn't, I wouldn't have even listened to anything that he had to say. And there was me, like some teenager at a pop concert, you know, cheering and clapping like mad in Trafalgar Square in September. Um, But I would say that's the most uplifting experience I've ever had. When David walked on the stage, there was like something really strange happened there in in Trafalgar Square. And it was really, really uplifting before he even opened his mouth. So, yeah, I don't. But yeah, I'd I'd have thought you were crazy if someone had told me that. It, before March the 23rd, 2020, I just thought you were crazy because I just thought he was some bonkers guy that was on the TV. But there's nothing wrong with that. And I, I, I start, this is not me now becoming patronising or mansplaining. I'm not going to mansplain or patronise you. There's nothing wrong with that. My mates used to say to me, why do you entertain him, Richie? And I would say, well, I entertain him because he's, he's making some very sound arguments in his books about certain things. But I understood why my mates used to think bonkers, because their lives were fairly normal, Sharon. You know what I mean? Their lives were fairly, yeah. you know, they went to work, they had their families, they went on holidays. They generally had it fairly decent. Why would you look at stuff like that? So I never blame I, I people. Went, you know? I went to dinner with, J- with Jacob Rees-Mogg, who gave speeches afterwards that was me so you just wouldn't have you know you just wouldn't have entertained that no I didn't you know I didn't I I I worked in commercial radio national radio for a bit did lots of 
um, stuff uh, as 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 a, as a self-employed producer. And I would have thought, oh yeah, that's the guy that went mad on Wogan years ago. Sure, he's a bit mad. You know, he's a bit mad. And, and, and then there was a reason to check him out. My reason was the things that happened after September the 11th when we started invading Iraq and Afghanistan doing all these terrible things that had nothing to do um, with Saddam Hussein. And I said, well, what's, what's really going on? So, yeah, look, you have your moment, I suppose. And I suppose this, what's happened in the last 12 months, surely it must be directing people to at least look at themselves and think, wow, maybe many of the things that I held to be sacred and to be absolute Maybe I need to look again at those things. And I think people like you, obviously, you know, successful, independent business women like you, no doubt, again, there's no patronising here. You're obviously going to get people through your own interest in it to take a look for themselves because of your own background. What do you think? Yeah. I hope so. I really hope so. And I, I really hope this election shows people like us that, you know, they're not on their own because I, I know from going to the protests, a lot of people say that they don't have the sort of friends support group that I have. And I, and I just hope by me standing for the election that people will see that there are people like us that are standing up for them and that they do have a voice. Yeah. And is that what you'd like to achieve? Because look, you're humble and you're very, you're obviously very bright and articulate. You're not stupid. So you know that the chances um, are, they're long uh, odds, right? Zero. Yeah, they're Probably virtually zero. zero. But there is something you can do and you've just been describing it. That's awareness. Yeah, definitely. And, and, and I hope that, you know, whoever does vote for me and, you know, there's a lot of people that have now said that they will go out and, you know, uh, deliver leaflets wherever they can get away with doing that. You know, they'll do so. And I hope that, you know, those, are, you know, at the Welsh Government do take notice of, you know, that there are people out there that will vote for anti-lockdown policies and that there are a lot of us that, that don't think this is over. You know, we're not we're not going to just lie down and let them carry on with all these weird controls and vaccine passports and it's just ridiculous and it just needs to stop now. Absolutely. May I ask, um, have you, do you have children? No. You don't. I always ask that because it is obviously a big deal for people who do, especially those who see through it. I feel for them, you know, because they're terribly worried. If you see through this and you've got youngsters, it's even more stressful. I think it is anyway. I don't have children either. But I imagine if I did, Sharon, I'd be properly bricking it now, you know. I know. I know. I've got horses and dogs, and it's worrying enough. Yeah. Worrying about yeah. them, to be honest. Absolutely. What do you, What do you think of them? Um, I mean, we, we just for the for the laugh, for the hell of it, just for a bit of humour. You know, with, County Leitrim in, in Ireland with the dog poo. What's going on there? I'm I, sorry, but somebody comes near my dog to swab his saliva. Yeah, yeah. Never mind him. They'd need to get past me first. And I you know, can't. in Ireland, you know, it's gone so tyrannical in Ireland that the law says that if you don't agree to it, you'll be fined. And I know what it's like in Ireland, even though. I've not lived at home for many, many years. They'll harangue and hound you and they will take your property in lieu of non-payment of the fine. It just seems every other day. And, you know, again, being a proud Irishman, you'd like to think that the Irish wouldn't put up with it, Sharon, but they just do put up with it. They just go along with it. And I'm like, when will you stand up? What, what will it take? Will it take them taking you out of your home to bring you to a vaccination centre? Hey, listen, before we run out of time... Um, Will you have the jab? Is that a stupid question? <laughs> That's a very stupid question. Yeah. Not honestly, I have said to people, and I am saying this honestly, if somebody put a gun to my head 
and said, we'll either pull the trigger or you have to have the vaccine. I would rather they pulled the trigger. Yeah, me and you both. Because because I just couldn't live with the stress of what's going to come. Yeah. So I would just rather they just did it there and then. So, so it, but in a way that takes out the stress because I do know a lot of people that are, oh, well, maybe I need the vaccine to go to work. Maybe I need it to go and travel. Maybe I need it, you know, for all sorts of different reasons. But, you know, it's absolutely black and white for me. It's a no. So whatever they throw at me, I'm going to have to deal with. And and, and in a way, that takes a lot of the stress away. It does, doesn't it? It does. And may I ask, we don't want identities, obviously, but you talked about a couple of scientific friends who you said were equally or even better qualified than the government advisors. Have they said anything about the vaccines? They wouldn't dream of it. They're the same as me. They Isn't would rather have a bullet through the head. And one of them actually makes vaccines for a living, but traditional types of vaccines. Is that right? And says and says he or she wouldn't go near these. Yes, wow. definitely. Yeah. And, and in exactly the same way as me, would rather have a bullet through his head than that actually happen. Yeah, and we know... We could we could mention Bakhti in Germany, Charit Bakhti, obviously Dolores Carl. These are very qualified people and they believe that there's evidence that these vaccines might do something called pathogenic priming where you might yeah. encounter another virus next year or the year after, or maybe sooner, and your immune system could go on the warpath against your own body and do yeah, unbelievable. Exactly. And, they, and they believe this. And you see, I can't say that's true and I know you can't either, but the yeah. fact that they believe it, they should be heard. The BBC Both should be featuring these people. Think exactly the same. They, they think exactly the same, and they have both written to the government endlessly, and they've had no response. And like I said, they're just as well qualified as Sir Patrick Valance or Chris Whitty. And uh, you know, it's ridiculous that, that that the government can't can't take the majority because I think the majority of scientists disagree with it. Yeah. Quite possibly. And may I ask, are your friends trying to operate under the radar because they have responsibilities to their yes. family? And of course, of course, I think Carl Hennigan said to Julia Hartley Brewer this morning that he's aware of a lot of scientists in UK academia or academic circles who feel like him, but are worried about losing tenure or, you know, basically losing their job. And he did say that to uh, Julia Hartley Brewer this morning. That's a shocking state of affairs in a so-called free and open society. I don't think we do live in a free no. society, sadly. In some ways, you know, I sort of, I know this sounds a strange thing, but you, you sort of feel slightly jealous now of people in communist China because at least they were born into it. Yeah. Because uh, we were, uh, you know, I was brought up thinking I was a free person. Yeah. And suddenly I've had this awful realisation that, we're not actually free and and now I wonder how much we actually were free in the past though so well that's the question isn't it and you know we haven't even touched on vaccine passports but there's no doubt of course that no more lockdowns the uh, Welsh party is obviously against the introduction of any such ridiculous uh, measures I mean it it really is era papyrant bitter isn't it it just is it's Nazi to the bone 
Yeah, absolutely. It's, it's, it's just it's quite frightening that they can even speak about it. I can't believe they're even having the conversation. I can't believe Gove is over in Israel now having the conversation about the green passports. Yeah, who could believe that Israelis, many of whom would have grandparents and great grandparents who were in Dachau or Auschwitz, these horrible places. I visited Dachau myself. Who would have believed that Israelis would say, oh, that's a good idea. And yet the Israelis have embraced it. Exactly. Oh. Scary. Absolutely scary. I'm going to give you the final word before I do. No more lockdowns.wales is the website. Help out if you can. No more lockdowns.wales slash manifesto. Read all about the party and Sharon and what they're going to do, what they hope to do, raise awareness over the course of this Senate election. Final word to you, Sharon, and I've loved meeting you. Thanks for your company. Thank you, Richie. Um, and to everybody out there, you know, um, you're not alone. There's, there's lots of us out here that, that feel the same way. And, and let's hope we can all sort of make connections and, and look after each other in the future. Maybe that's the way forward. Lovely stuff and uh, brilliantly said, Sharon. Thanks for coming on and you're welcome back anytime. Thank you very much. Speak to you soon. Speak to you right soon. Thanks, Bye for Richie. now. Uh, the lovely Sharon Smith. And again, I don't mean to patronise Sharon by saying the lovely. Sharon Smith, lovely, articulate, um, brilliant ideas. No more lockdowns. Dot Wales. That's the website. Check it out if you haven't done already. There is a Twitter page or a Twitter account for No More Lockdowns Wales as well. Check it out. That's pretty much it for the programme today, uh, Monday's programme. Thanks for listening as usual. If you missed any of it, please go to podomatic.com richieallen.podomatic.com That should be your first port of call for the podcast. Now, obviously, it's on iTunes and all the rest of it, Podbean and any podcast provider you'll find it, but some of them are beginning to cut it. They're chopping bits of it out, the bits that deal with vaccines and the bits that deal with lockdowns. Okay, that's their own business. Uh, Podomatic, whom I pay, obviously, to host my podcast, they have assured me and everybody else who uses the platform, who pays them to, to host podcasts, they've assured us that they will never, ever do that. So go to podomatic.com if you missed any of it and follow me there. And that's the way it is. It's on iTunes and everything else as well. I really enjoyed Sharon. And I do want to say again, before I forget, thank you so much to Alan Wise and to Caroline Wise, Caroline, his wife, for speaking to us about Colin Wise, rest in peace, who died a few weeks ago, aged 91, having uh, developed complications following the first dose of the AstraZeneca jab. Listen to that interview and share it with people. Uh, it's very fair. They paint a very accurate and honest picture of what happened to Colin. Let people hear it and make their own minds up. I'm back with you tomorrow, Tuesday, at five o'clock as usual. Before I go, well, there's only just for me to say, look after yourselves and one another and enjoy the rest of your Monday evening. Uh, it's goodbye from the BBG. Bye now, bye. Bye.